Turn our Bibles then to the chapter uh, which we read together in 1 Peter and chapter 3 and the first uh, seven verses uh, of this chapter. I'm not sure if it was a sign, but my sermon didn't print out before I came to church. Uh, but anyway, we, we will manage. Uh, one of the challenges we face in consecutive expository preaching or in consecutive Bible reading is that we have to preach or read through all types of passages. Some parts of the Bible are difficult to understand, like the book of Revelation with its dragons and its beasts and its bowls. Other parts of the Bible are difficult to live, like the command, you shall not covet. But other parts of the Bible are just plain difficult to know how they apply in our life and in our circumstance. Discussion at the church door today over coffee in the hall and then at lunch at home highlighted some of the issues of fulfilling and working out this morning's sermon. How do we submit to our employer in a time of strike? When is it right with the rights that we have to question the low pay that we're on or the long hours that we're working or the extra work we're doing because of a lack of labor within our office. And all of this highlights the need that we have for wisdom in taking God's word, understanding it, and then applying it in the way it's meant to be applied into our life. And this paragraph is one of those challenging paragraphs for us, how to apply this in our life, in our family, in our marriage. And we know that this paragraph is difficult because we've seen it misapplied in many circumstances, countries and cultures. We have seen wives treated poorly and joked about. We understand that this paragraph has been wrongly cited in circumstances where the husband, for example, is justifying buying a boat for fishing while the mortgage still needs paid off. And he has cited this command in verse 1 to justify his plans. Our theology, our knowledge of other parts of Scripture, the common grace which still exists within every soul has often risen up such a dis- against such a display of a wrong application of this text within a home and a marriage. But while we may not be party to such behavior, we still struggle to understand what verse 1 means and how it applies. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. In the first marriage class that I took, I gave out the standard book which our church recommends on marriage to the couple It was the book by Brian Edwards, Two Into One. I didn't think they would read it. They weren't believers. But I was surprised when they returned in a few weeks' time and claimed they'd read the book. And that on page 78, there was a point they disagreed with. And it was just this very point here. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And that debate 
is symptomatic of our society and our culture. We, we sit in a, a marriage ceremony and we wonder if this vow will be taken by the bride. And if it is mentioned by the minister, there is often a gasp in the congregation that this wife, uh, this bride has promised to be subject to her husband. The command is considered by many to be too strong, too antiquarian, too suppressive. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. This is the third time the apostle Peter gives a command like this, a command of one party to be subject to another. And we have noticed these different places in their past sermons. He exhorted citizens to be submissive to their government. In chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, this morning we thought of employees to be submissive to their employers at the end of chapter 2. And here we come to this third section in this body of teaching about submission, wives being subject to their own husbands. Christians are to be a submissive people then to authority, working out the fifth commandment in the home, in the state, in the workplace. But perhaps of all three areas, this area is the most difficult, the most controversial, and possibly the least understood. I hope this evening as you leave church, and this is a challenge, that you will leave with a desire to fulfill this passage in your life. I want us just to spend some moments thinking of the particular setting because there's some unusual features about this paragraph, but I think this point really will help you understand this passage better. All three sections on submission benefit from us understanding the context. The context of the first section, submission to government, comes in a time when the emperor was pagan and highly immoral. And yet Christians were exhorted to be submissive to that type of government. We thought this morning of submission to masters and the context there was of slaves who had no rights. And if they objected to any treatment or any condition that they were receiving, beatings or death would be the result. That was the context of that command. And so we come to this third context, which will help us to understand this command, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. There's three aspects of this context which is significant for us as we consider this paragraph, verses 1 to 7. The obvious one is the imbalance that we see in this paragraph. Six verses are addressed to wives. One verse, verse 7, is addressed to husbands. And that indicates that there's something unusual going on in this context that lies behind these particular verses. The imbalance could be interpreted and is interpreted by some, wrongly, I think, 
as that the apostle loves women less. He spends longer on instructing the wives than the husbands, and that has been interpreted and has maybe been interpreted by you as you look at this going, what's going on here? As a negative. Like Paul, like Peter. Like Paul, Peter has been considered as chauvinistic, as someone who gives a peripheral place to woman, favors the male species, is imbalanced in his teaching about the sexes, is not to be followed by 21st century wives and women. However, there's another way of looking at the amount of space devoted to each partner in the marriage. And that is that he deeply cares for the wives in that first century context. He spends more time addressing them out of his pastoral care for them. He takes longer over their problem and situation than the husband's because their problem is bigger and greater than the ones facing Christian husbands. And graduating last year, I was second up for my award. And I noticed that the chancellor of the university spent a lot longer speaking to the woman who was first up. And as people looked at that, they might have all kinds of ideas. Why did he spend a lot longer, ten times longer, speaking to this first person, the woman, than he did to the second person, the man? And the truth was that he, he knew the woman. She lectured in the same university. He knew the studies that she was doing. And so here, as we reflect on the, 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 the imbalanced amount of space devoted to the wives than to the husbands, we're thinking there has to be a pastoral reason undergirdedness. He's taking his time He's dealing with the problem. Far from it being a negative, this is a positive. He's not just mentioning the, the, their issue and, and moving on from it. He's dwelling on it. He's unpacking it. He's addressing their fears. He's anticipating their questions. Rather than being dismissive or cursive about them. He's been caring and loving and kind. Secondly, the type of marriage that's here is different from Ephesians chapter 5, where it's anticipated one believer is married to another believer. In this paragraph, it's clear that the, the wife is the believer and the husband is an unbeliever. You see verse number 2, the phrase, may be one that is, one for Christ. So it's a mixed marriage that he's addressing here. And it requires more attention. As most of the converts in first century Christianity appear to be wives from church history records, those believing wives in their mixed marriage are being addressed at length here. They have particular challenges and needs that, that he needs to address and, and answer. 
So, so we're not to think of this passage being, being imbalanced, but rather he's getting the right balance. He's addressing the parties within this marriage with the greater needs. If you and I went to A&E and you had a broken finger and I had a broken leg, I would sincerely hope that the doctors spent a lot more time with me and my broken leg than they did with you and your broken finger. And so here, it's the believing wives in a mixed marriage that have the greater needs. And, and the apostle with skill and sensitivity addresses them. And, and there's a third point of background from the first century that I think helps us to understand the teaching here. The state had the, the rule that the wife was to adopt the religion of her husband. And you can imagine, can you imagine, the difficulty for a wife who became a follower of Christ, changing her God, her religion, her worship, her belief, her practice, praying for her husband whom she now believes is going straight to hell, witnessing to him, pleading with him to come to Christ. What difficulty, what unsettlement was brought into this marriage when a woman who was meant to follow the religion of her husband became a Christian. And so Peter alert to, to all of this pastoral situation, the challenges facing these women in their very homes. He spends this time dealing with their problem, unpacking the scriptures and the motives and the encouragements that they can have to go on serving Christ, following Christ, witnessing Christ, for Christ. And so the space the marriage type and the original background help us, I think, to understand this passage a little better. And one of the obvious practical points emerging from this emphasis in the Apostles' writing here is that women in the church are to be highly valued. Peter Majors here on the struggles that believing wives were facing. He takes his time. He gives them help. He doesn't dismiss the matter in a few words. And in doing that, he shows that he appreciates them. And we hope all the women in Ard's congregation feel valued. And can I say and I hope it's not condescending that we are so blessed to have you among us. We could never manage without you. A talented group in this congregation. A wonderful blessing as Raymond and I were, were talking about last week in this church. And so we come then to our three points, relatively brief points about this, this passage, the command is well known. You all wrestle with it. 
We want to think, yeah, yeah, this is a bit surprising, isn't it? We'll start with the duty of the husbands, okay? <clears throat> Maybe not what you're expecting, okay? The quality of the spouses uh, and the submission of wives. And that's the, the wonderful context uh, that, that wives here can carry home with them. There's more to this paragraph than the command for you to submit to your husband. Think, first of all, together then of the duty of husbands. And this is in verse number seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we're beginning here where Peter ends. Perhaps this, this does shock some of the men here, but it, it's, it, it's where he, he wants an emphasis to linger. So as we, as we leave this paragraph, he ends with this, so that as we close the reading or the hearing of this paragraph of Scripture, this point which balances the whole paragraph is given emphasis. We can get bogged down in our sermon and in our reading, wrestling with what does the submission of the wife mean for the husband, but there is this other side that can be neglected. And far from it being tagged on, it brings such richness and balance to the whole paragraph. And so we begin with this, the two duties that the husband is to perform to his wife, to honor her and to understand her. And these two words, I think, explain the command in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands are to love their wives. What does that mean? Is it that warm, funny feeling in our pit of our stomach? Here it's set out for us to honor them, to understand them. Understanding, first of all. Many claim that we cannot understand a woman Women claim it's their prerogative to change their minds to the total bewilderment of a car salesman who sold a red mini to the woman and now she's standing before him demanding a white mini. The best-selling book from decades ago, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, highlighted many legitimate differences between men and between women. But one commentator points out that we do not have to understand women. The husband is just to understand his wife. And Peter, under, Peter considers understanding to be crucial to a healthy Christian marriage. And a husband of love will understand his wife. Wayne Graham explains the word understanding helpfully as Understanding her strengths and weaknesses in the physical, emotional, and spiritual realms. Maybe she needs more sleep than you do. Maybe she cries more easily than you do. Maybe she has doubts about her salvation. We understand our wife. He continues understanding the wife's desires, goals, and frustrations. Perhaps her desire for financial security. 
perhaps our goal of, of fitness, perhaps our frustration of a sacrificed career to care for the family. We dwell with them with understanding. We get understanding of any subject by research, by observation, and by discussion. And so we're not just to drift along as husbands locked into our own little world, oblivious to the needs and challenges and differences of our wives, but we're to actively understand them. Let me help husbands a little by telling you three things wives wish their husbands understood about them. And in helping you, I'm helping myself. First, our wives want us to want to do things. For example, cooking the dinner. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Secondly, understanding that our wives are amazing multitaskers. And when they ask us a question when we're watching the TV, they expect an immediate answer because they can do that rather than our normal to, to watch another 10 minutes because of the episode of Lord of the Rings that's on. We understand them. And thirdly, that sometimes they just want us to listen to them venting about a situation they don't want us to fix anything. When they start speaking to us about something that, that concerns them, we, we plunge in there trying to solve this. All they want us to do sometimes is just to listen. We dwell with them with understanding. Yes, the bit about the wives submitting will come, it'll come in the sermon here, but here's our responsibility understand our wife. And secondly, honor them. Verse 7, showing honor to the woman. The word honor means respect and includes kind and affirming words in private and in public and a high priority for their choices regarding use of time and money. It's a lot in that statement, but something which resonates with our wives. One pastor observed that in his counseling experience, the most common complaint that he received from Christian wives of their husbands was not that they were domineering, but that they were absent. They never honored their wife with their time. If they were at home, they sat with the remote in their hand while she talked to them, or worse, left the TV on. They were at home, but they weren't really at home. And so before husbands start beating the big drum about wives submitting to their husbands, let us consider understanding and honoring our wives. And I think for the wives, this is a, a wonderful point, a, a crucial verse and dimension on this whole paragraph, because this is the type of husband that they're being called to submit to. The call to submission is in the context of a husband who has responsibilities towards his wife, 
of understanding her and honoring her and submission. We all know that such a person is no hardship to us. An elder that understands and honors us will easily submit to him. An employer who understands and honors us will do anything for her. And a husband who understands and honors his wife will find a wife who gladly submits to him. The second crucial point in this seventh verse is the motivation, and Peter's full of, of, of motivating comments, but, but there's a motivation here to the husband to, to, to embark in this duty of understanding and, and honoring his wife. And it's that it will lead to a peaceful home. He says in verse 7 that your prayers may not be hindered. Honoring and understanding your wife will lead to peace in the home. And that peace in the home will facilitate undistracted prayer. Matthew Henry comments on this. If there is not a loving marriage, you will not pray at all. Or if you do pray, you will pray with a discomposed, ruffled mind. And so without success. So here's the driver. Here's the motive for us. That we will love our wife by honoring and understanding her. And this will result in peace in the home and in our marriage. Which will allow us to pray together. Which will bring great blessing on our family. The second point in this paragraph is the equality of spouses. And this is emphasized here for us. Verse number seven. Your heirs together of the grace of life. The wife is heirs with you, an heir with you of the grace of life. The son, the male, was dominant within the arena of heirship, both in Judaism and in, in the Roman world of the first century. The firstborn son received the lion's share of the inheritance, and, and the rest of the family children were given the scraps. But, but here, Christianity again is countercultural, and it's emphasizing the equality within the church and in the redemptive purpose of God that the woman, the wife, is blessed as much, equally blessed as the man is. And husband and wife are both co-heirs of the glorious promise of the life of heaven. And so as we think of our wives, we're to think of them in the spiritual understanding that there is no difference in creation, in the image of God, in redemption, in the spiritual blessings we receive, and in the preparation for the future to enter heaven. We are equal in God's grace, in God's creation, and will be in God's heaven. 
there are different roles within the church, within our marriage, within the state. There are different roles, but there is an underpinning equality. And we wrestle with this, don't we? We wrestle with this for for various reasons, but the apostle mentions one aspect which challenges us in holding on to this equality in our vision, in our outlook, in our treatment of our wife. It's in verse 7. She does have an inferiority in her physical strength. She is the weaker vessel. Marathon times. Prove that. The amount of weights which a man and woman can lift in the gym indicates that there is a difference in that realm. But the point of the Apostle Peter is that that physical difference should in no way alter our view of our wife. You are co-heirs of the grace of heaven. And lastly then, the submission of wives in verse number one. In our home, just don't be prying into this, all right? Okay, this is just to help, this is just to help you, okay? Uh, in our home last week, we faced, we faced this matter. Considering the purchase of an item involving a, a, a bit of money. Ruth was for the purchase. I wasn't convinced about it. So what do we do? What do you do? Would I insist on my way as the husband? Would Ruth cry and manipulate and wangle agreement out of me? In the end, and I'm sure this is what you do as well, and this is what we are to do, we agreed to leave it in the meantime, but we would get something better. So Ruth submitted to me, but with the promise and the hope that something better will come. So this is the context of this command, rooted in the creation order of Adam being made first. Wise, be submissive to your husbands. And Ephesians adds, as as the church is to Christ. The description of what submissiveness is then. How do you describe it? I think it's described in verse number four. A parallel phrase to the submission of verse number one. It's a gentle and quiet spirit. The word gentle here means not insistent on one's own rights. Not pushy. Not selfishly assertive. Gentle and quiet spirit. For your encouragement, ladies, it's used of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 25. He says, I am gentle. The husband has responsibility of understanding and honoring, and he has to, to fulfill those. The wife has the responsibility of submission, of gentleness and quietness. And Peter gives great encouragement here to the wife in this regard to fulfill this function. He says, this is the true beauty of a wife. 
not in our hair or jewelry or clothing, but in this gentle and quiet spirit, the inward beauty which is pleasing to God and more precious to him than any carrots of gold. He cites the example of Sarah from Genesis 18, which we read together, and what a wonderful example this is. She is there with deference and submissiveness and helpfulness and support to her husband in that encounter with the Lord and the two angels that came to the tent of Abraham. Peter says this is our example. We are descendants spiritually of Abraham, but also of Sarah, those people of faith. She submitted to her husband. And that is the model for us to follow. Read the biography of Sarah in the Old Testament. She contributed to discussions. She took on responsibilities. She had an important part to play in the decisions of the family. She wasn't peripheral or redundant, but she was submissive. And so as we think of this paragraph and study this paragraph and analyze this paragraph, I encourage us to begin at verse 7, all of us, and see that there's responsibilities there for the husbands to fulfill. And then to recognize the equality that that appears throughout this whole paragraph. We are co-heirs of the grace of life. And it's within that context that wives are to exercise that gentle and quiet spirit of submission to their own husbands. And that is true beauty. Many times have we left the presence of an older, gray-haired, wrinkled female believer saying, she is beautiful. Her gentle and quiet spirit is inspirational. Let us all pray for our young people that as they grow up among us, that God will give them godly spouses like this, husbands who will honor and understand their wives and wives of a quiet and gentle spirit.